guests. Lucy, you were there. With oh, look at that. Gee, standing ovation. Incredible. All right, great. Good to be here. Feel honoured being part of Sunday Night Live. You know, I only do it once a month, so I'm, you know, technically only 12 people get to do that a year. So I'm one of 12. That's narrowed the odds. I feel good about that. Um, I'm just trying to get myself positioned here. I thought it was, it feels like more of a sit on a stool kind of night, doesn't it, than a stand and get preached at kind of night, so we won't do that. Um, I don't know whether you know much about Lighthouse, but um, uh, some of you know I was here before, probably a couple of years ago, and uh, uh, I, I became the senior pastor in 2000. My wife's dad founded Lighthouse. Lighthouse is nearly, is about 48 years old now, and uh, both Annette and I, Annette's been there her whole life, and I've been there since I was 11, so i I literally pastor the church I've grown up in, um, which is a bit weird because for many years my Sunday school teacher used to sit in the in the seat while I was preaching in the early days and scowl at me while I was preaching. So you know, I had my theology wrong or something, or she's waving a finger. I never taught you that or whatever. So it's sort of, it's sort of bizarre pastoring the church you, you you grow up in, but it's a great thing to be honest. I uh, lots of people told me if I was if, if you're going to do God's call, you probably should leave and go and do your own thing. But clearly for us, we felt that's what God wanted us to do. But I got to tell you, Lighthouse isn't just not the same church it used to be. I never really meant to change it. It wasn't my intention to come flying in wildly. You understand I served the one pastor for 22 years. And so uh, I married his daughter. I served him for 22 years. There's not a role in the church that I didn't do. Uh, They even had me as creche leader once. Um, But I got sacked from that role because uh, me and my mate, we were running creche. And uh, I'm quite visionary. So back in the day, I thought, you know, we should raise money for a TV so he and I could watch the NBA while we're looking after the kids and apparently that's not a good idea so I wasn't the creche leader anymore but uh, I've done everything from the conference coordinator to admin side of the church and then I was the youth pastor for 12 years or so as well but I only did that as a volunteer my background is I'm a carpenter slash builder slash project manager slash small business for a while there Um, so even just listening to all those things I feel a bit tired actually quite honestly think I'm ready for heaven how about you when's the Lord coming back soon I hope gee I'm dying for a rest but uh, tonight, look, I just want to chat to you about, I guess for us, Lighthouse has become a church uh, that five years ago when we thought about changing the name, everything we do is filtered through the, through the thought, does our community understand what we're doing and who we are? And so we're not, we're not sacred at Lighthouse. This is what I've taught my church. There's only two things that are sacred, God and his word. Everything else will change for the sake of people that aren't turning up here on a Sunday. We'll do whatever it takes to reach them. Now, who would have thought that little thought that we had back in 2000 uh, began to shape our church, but ironically, and I feel mostly like an accidental leader, that here we are all these years on, that somebody saw what we were doing, saw what we are shaping, saw how we were reaching our community. Fast forward that along, and now I get the opportunity to talk to churches right across our nation about community engagement. Here's what I want you to know, that uh, your community and the communities around Australia, mostly, generally speaking, are not waking up Sunday morning thinking, what's a great church I can go to? They're not against you. It's not even that they don't like God, they're just not thinking about it. And more and more Australia is becoming a secular nation and is not really interested in so much the Sunday type thing that we do. It doesn't mean we shouldn't do it and it doesn't mean we shouldn't do it well. It just means if this is the only vehicle to which people can come to know Jesus, then Australia's in big trouble. Not, not, and not just here in your church, but in everybody's church. And actually the stats are, the horrifying stats are, and the great thing is when I had to write my book, Thank God It's Monday. Who writes a book? What pastor writes a book called Thank God It's Monday for crying out loud? All the pastors I know, what day do you take off? Monday or Friday? 
Right, okay, I can't teach you. Most pastors, when I wrote this book, thought, oh, did you write a book about our day off, did you? I'm like, no, it's about the community. Thank God it's Monday. Sunday's not enough because it's not. Because the stats are, I, I, I got a hold of uh, Mark McCrindle, who is Australia's leading social demographer. He's a Christian. And he put together some stats on uh, church attendance. And you, did you know this? In 1976, the population of Australia was 13.5 million. 3.9 million people attended church. You fast forward to today, we're nearly double the population, around 24 million. 3.5 million people attend church. 400,000 less we double the population. It doesn't mean we should quit, and I'm not tr- haven't come here to be dark and negative. I've just come here to let you know they've got to be. We've got to go to them. We we can't expect to host a service and that our community just can't wait for us to get started at 10 a.m. every Sunday morning or 6 p.m. every one one Sunday night every month. We've literally got to go to them, and we've got to engage them. And so that raises a problem. How do we engage our community? How do we be inclusive at the same time that much of our community, the people we hang around, don't have the same values, the same beliefs, or even the same lifestyles that we have? How do we do those two things well? You know, I have a very close friend. We've got to know each other now over the past five years. He's the head of Wollongong University uh, Business College. He's a high-level academic. And uh, it's a long, old story how we got to know each other, but we're very good friends. But he's absolutely considers himself an atheist. He and I meet regularly, probably uh, every uh, six weeks or so. We have lunch together. We talk about, I lecture at uh, Wollongong University in the business school. Um, He wants me there. He thinks I should be a part of the fabric of the learning and the training of Wollongong University business students. But he and I are absolutely opposed in our beliefs when it comes to God. Yet there we are regularly sitting together having lunch and I'm so thankful that I've been part of uh, the Hawks basketball team. Uh, when I first got the opportunity to take that on I thought I'm a senior pastor, I'm going to be too busy to do that so I nearly gave it to my brother who's a basketballer as well and uh, I'm so glad I didn't because staying in that team has taught me how to stay connected to people that don't know Jesus and I consider it one of the most precious things I do. You know they're about to start up again this year uh, when the Hawks come in season when they are that all the imports will arrive next week from America and it literally adds nine hours to my week and if you haven't heard me say before I was saying it today to the guys uh, in Cessnock that um, if you want to reach the community it's absolutely inconvenient. In fact my life is chaos I dream, I dream sometimes of just being a local church pastor. That would be phenomenal. If I could just do that and focus on looking after church-like people, then my life would be so much easier. But I'm called to pastor a community. And so I spend 80% of my week outside the walls of the church. I'm only in my office two hours a week. And I'm in every uh, small committee group that I can get my hands on. I'm part of the Illawarra Business Chamber. I'm part of Community Connect. I'm part of Wollongong University. And whatever I can do to get my myself in and amongst people that don't know Jesus and here's what you've got to believe because I, I don't know about you I, this is the this was the thinking I was brought up on that I have now that I'm a Christian you know people would quote me that scripture that you've got to come out and be ye separate remember that scripture they put the word ye in there it made it more spiritual and so somehow that when you get saved you've got to stay away from those heathens because just in case you fall back or become like them well, I want you to know that's a weak insipid Christianity perspective Actually, here's what it should be. This is how I want you to think about your Mondays. You should be able to go into any place in the community and you are not in danger of becoming like that community, but absolutely the community is in danger of becoming like you. That's how you should see yourself. 
And you, uh, we're not weak. Any moment we get near a lost person, a, a sinner, a heathen, that somehow we're going to become like those people? Absolutely not. And so what I've found is I don't always have the right thing to say to these men and women that I hang around that don't know Jesus, but I absolutely know if I could just keep proximity with them, if I could just stay in relationship with them, who knows what God might do if I'm a part of who they are instead of trying to get them to be a part of who I am. And the only way I get to do that is I've got to go to them. And I want to talk to you tonight. Why don't you grab your Bibles, grab your devices rather, you know. Nobody has real Bibles anymore. Take yourself off Candy Crush. Stop Facebooking. Don't text the person who's actually literally sitting right next to you. You can talk to them later. I want to read from Acts 10, 9. Can I read a bit of scripture? I'm going to read about uh, uh, 19 verses. I know it's a lot for Sunday night, isn't it? But try to hang in there. You can read along. Uh, this is quite famously the vision that Peter had uh, that actually became a revolution in Peter's life. And I'll read it to you. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw, a he- he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat this is what he said surely not lord peter replied i have never eaten anything impure or unclean and the voice spoke to him in a second time do not call anything impure that god has made clean this happened three times and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven while peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision the men sent by cornelius found out where simon's house was and stopped at the gate they called out asked if simon who was known as peter was staying there and while peter was still thinking about the vision the spirit said to him simon three men are looking for you so get up go downstairs do not hesitate go with them for i've sent them to you peter went down said to the men i'm the one you're looking for why have you come and the men replied we have come from cornelius the centurion he's a righteous and god-fearing man who's respected by all jewish people a holy angel told him to ask you to come to this house so that he could hear what you have to say and then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests the next day Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along the following day he arrived in Caesarea Cornelius was expecting them and called them together his relatives and close friends this is what it says in verse 25 as Peter entered the house Cornelius met him and fell at the feet in reverence but Peter made him get up stand up he said I'm only a man myself and while talking with him Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people and he said to them you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or clean you know I'm going to read the next part of the scripture in a moment but you know this is the case that's going on here Peter absolutely believes that the gospel of the Jesus that he followed for three years is not a gospel for the Gentiles, it's a gospel for the Jews. Peter absolutely believes that according to his law, though he spent three years with Jesus, he believes that he should not associate with, certainly not have dinner with, and should not spend time around those Uh, Gentiles that are not of the Jewish culture guess what Peter had Peter had a religious and cultural prejudice yet he hung around Jesus and this is what it says in verse 34 says then Peter began to speak I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but except from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right you know what God does anyone ever had a theory in their life I've had lots of theories I had a theory, I reckon before I was uh, the senior leader of Lighthouse, I had a theory about community engagement. I reckon I had a theory about how to reach lost people. I think I had a theory about uh, how to see uh, people saved. I had a theory about church. I definitely had a theory about church. 
And then what I found was God put me in a physical context of what my theory was and then my theory became challenged and I realised that what I believed and what I had was actually prejudice, (laughs) not really what God was saying. And, And I just want to suggest this tonight. If Peter, who can literally hang around Jesus physically for three years, end up believing that he's not to hang around a certain group of people, is it possible that you and I, who also follow Jesus, sometimes in our life, end up with some kind of religious or cultural prejudice that stop us from hanging around people that aren't like us? Here's what I believe. I believe that the local church should be a sample of what's in the community. You know, if you come to Wollongong, it's multicultural. Um, my, we have three locations. My uh, station location, love a good rhyme. My station area where we are, uh, like right next to the railway station, so low socioeconomic. So here's what we have at Lighthouse. We have multicultural, multi-generational and multi-socioeconomical. In my church on any given Sunday or any program we run, we can have literally the, ho- the homeless through the great wealthy business people and all of them mixed together. I think that's the incredible picture of the body of Christ. There's no other organisation on the face of the earth where so many people from so many different walks of life can God call one, the body. And not only that, it's taught us that we have to reach people in a way that is not of prejudice and is not of um, my old thinking or my old ways. You know, here's Peter. He's like this kosher-eating man who never connects with Gentiles. And there he is, he finds himself fronted up at the door of the very people he won't eat with. And it's in that moment he gets the revelation that God does not show favoritism on people, that God loves everybody equally. The problem with Peter was he had, he thought he had a theology of inclusiveness, but actually he had a theology of exclusiveness. I'm talking to you tonight about the circle of love. See, Peter thought he had a large circle of love because it's easy, isn't it? When you hang around Jesus, we just assume we're like him because whoever you hang around, it's easy to attach your theory to their reality. And so Jesus had a massive circle of love. So Peter just assumed, I must also have a large circle of love. But he had a small circle of love because he chose only certain people that he would love based on their background, who they were, and their lifestyle and I just want to encourage you I realize that I this is how I would describe myself I just turned 50 recently I know most of you thinking he's got to be 35 or something or um and so I just turned 50 I'm like a 50 year old Anglo bought up in church you know white Australian male I'm loaded with prejudice loaded cultural prejudice and actually I tell my church regularly so you think Uh, as preachers we want everybody else to change but I want you to know to engage my community I have to constantly and regularly go against the cultural prejudice that represents a 50 year old white Anglo male with a certain lifestyle all the time I have to constantly and I want you to know it's incredibly uncomfortable the places I find myself but I can see if I'm willing to let go of my prejudices first I watch God show up in those relationships and those spaces like never before. You know, you can do that as well. God is, I reckon, when you come to church 
or you go to a program that your church runs or you find yourself in a community next to somebody you don't normally, not you or just me, if I find myself next to somebody I don't really like, they're just not like me. I wouldn't hang out with them normally, but they turned up and now I've got to sit next to them. Right, that kind of thing. Did you know that God is doing that for you because he's increasing your circle of love? Did you know while ever you fight to keep your circle small, God will constantly bring people who are nothing like you into your world to force you to love people beyond people that are just like you. There's nothing better to move from theory to revelation by God putting before you people who you wouldn't love naturally, but now you have to love supernaturally. God will increase your circle. And so if you're ever going to reach this community, you're going to get used to the fact that you are going to sit next to, stand alongside, uh, have to have coffee with and talk with people who you probably by nature would not normally talk to. But I want you to know that's a good thing. The dream he had, he said, listen, Peter, don't call unclean what I've made clean. And I think we've got to be careful with that as we're reaching our community. There's no doubt that just like when we receive Jesus, we need a bit of a clean up. There's no doubt. But that's not the prerequisite for, when we, for how we relate to people. I, I'm not going to share too much about it tonight, but I get, what, can I give you a picture of the kingdom of God? This is the picture of the kingdom of God. Matthew 13, 47. Don't have it on the PowerPoint, so don't go panicking there. Sometimes I just like to make it up as I go. Matthew 13, 47 says this. The kingdom of God is like a fishing net that's spread out and in the net are good ones and bad ones and later on the fishermen sort them out the good from the bad i'm a fisherman i have a kayak hobie kayak let me go there for a moment hobie kayak fish finder four or so rods pedal powered go about a kilometer offshore and when I go out, I have each rod rigged for a particular fish and I just drop that line down right where I am. I have a certain bait for a certain type of fish and I'm after a certain species. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not like that. The kingdom of God is not like a rod with one hook after a certain type of people. It says the kingdom of God is a, is a fishing net that is wide and in that net will be both good fish and bad fish. In fact, that's not the time to sort. You know what's great about a fishing net? A fishing net does not judge. It doesn't control. It's not choosy. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't go to surround an ugly fish and then go, not touching that. Just goes for it. Just covers, just covers. So here's what the Bible says. If you want to be a part of the kingdom, you are going to be with fish who are nice and fish that are not so nice. You are going to be in the kingdom with the tasty and the toxic. They're all going to be there together. And if you want to be a part of a kingdom that is just all snapper, what if, have you ever thought of it this way? What if the day you got saved, God wasn't fishing for your type? Then you'd be in trouble. Thank God he doesn't have a type. He was just going for everybody. He's just trying to gather as many people as he can. And then what happens is we'll sort that out later. But at the moment, all of us have one thing in common. We're all sinners, level ground. And so we capture a whole bunch of people that won't talk, act, sound, look, behave like you at all. Next week, I get it every year. Some very tall, large, one of the guys we just signed uh, from America, he's six foot 11 and 138 kilos and black. 
So um, I, sometimes people don't believe how big they are. So when I, they're on the court, I just quietly walk over and stand with them while they're shooting. And then you can go, well, look at Paul. He's clearly huge and muscular. <laughs> and so is that guy. So, and so we, the, the comparison, but here's what they'll do. They hear that I'm a rev. They call me rev. And I say, oh, you know, this is the rev, blah, blah, blah. And then as, as time goes on, um, they'll, st- they'll drop a swear, word, a swear word or two. And straight away, look, oh, sorry, rev. We didn't mean to. Told a dirty joke. Sorry, we forgot you were here. I, this is what I have to teach them. I want you to know something. I'm not here to tell you how, how to behave. It's not my job to give you behavioural lessons. Here's what we should do. You should live your authentic self and I'll live my authentic self. In actual fact, what, I, I would not expect somebody who doesn't know Jesus to behave like Jesus. It's ludicrous. I mean, just quite frankly, I have enough trouble behaving like Jesus and I know him. Why would I even remotely expect somebody who wants nothing to do with Jesus currently or who has no relationship with him behave better just for my sake? That's, that's law. It's religion. So I say, just be yourself. I'm good with it. Let's work on getting to know each other because you could be a part of the net. Huh. Don't call unclean what God has called clean. So, you know, it's funny though, you've got to be careful because uh, we, we say, like we, I said, like Peter did, we can say that we love everybody, but it's not until you find yourself in that context that you can truly say you do. And uh, I remember, I'm not necessarily that old, I was born in 1967. That sounds old, doesn't it, if you're like born in 2000 or something, 1967. That's like, it sounds like he's 100. 1967. But apparently in the 60s, there was a hippie movement, right? So what was the hippie movement about? The hippie, anybody here, hippie movement? No? Okay. No? So, oh, there were some hands, right? So the thing with the hippie movement, right, was, you know, from what I see on television, because I wasn't, you know, I was there for three years, uh, and I wasn't a hippie at three. And, and, but what I see was that the hippie movement was about love, you know, just love everything, love each other, love, 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 love. But actually, the hippies weren't inclusive, they were exclusive. Because actually, they only love people that dress like them. They only love people that acted like them. They only love... So it looked like a love movement, but actually it was highly exclusive. And so the church can be the same. We can look like a love movement, but might merit the fact that we're only hanging around the people that we like and know us and mostly Christians, no non-Christians in our life. And the longer we're Christian, the less non-Christians we have. All of that, it can look like we're a love organization, but in fact, we're not. We're actually exclusive, not inclusive like we thought we were. So we want to constantly push ourselves away from just the people. You know what, for me, we own two cafes, Lighthouse. We have our, you should Google the Woolshed, by the way, the Woolshed in the Illawarra. We just bought and have renovated a massive old rustic uh, hipster uh, venue. Cost me a couple of million bucks. We just spent about 800,000 on it and it's cafe restaurant and hundreds and hundreds of people from our community come there every week and uh, are a part of that place. Um, but uh, uh, what, what I've found is this, that we've created a space where people literally feel like they've come home. You know, you can whack, I said this to the guys today, you can whack flags up out the front that say welcome home or you can just create an atmosphere in a building where people feel at home. And they're very different things. The flag is about, and I'm careful, but the flag can be about, because uh, you might have them, so I'm sorry if you do. So I'm not, or anyway, go there. So... The, the flag makes you and I feel good, like welcome home. That's, that's, that's the theory. But the reality that makes the theory true is how do people feel when they come? Do they actually feel at home? I feel at home because there's a flag 
or I feel at home because no, when I come here, there's a wide circle of love that people, wherever I find myself, uh, they love me. Okay, so when you increase your circle of love or your circle, you find your heart has a massive capacity to love. I think sometimes we think the more people we love that aren't like us, that we feel like, oh, we're going to get a harder heart because they're going to be more difficult to love. Actually, I find the opposite. I find the wider the circle of love in my life, the absolute greater the capacity my heart has to love people. The more the people are different than me, the greater my heart feels with an expectation to love people that just aren't like me along the way. Hey, it's funny. I want you. This is Jesus' experience with the disciples on small to, small to large love, right? So in Luke chapter 9, when uh, this is people who think they've got the circle of love. When Jesus goes, or they hear that Samaria won't let Jesus come in, right? You know, part of Luke chapter 9. So Jesus was going to go to Samaria. No, you can't come. What do the disciples say to Jesus? Jesus, do you want us to call down fire and burn them all up? Oh my goodness me, what the, where does that come from? What, what was, Jesus must be thinking, what, who are you hanging around? You've been with me for two years and your solution to a town that doesn't like us, your solution to a town that rejects us is to burn them all up. Goodness me, where did that come from? But they thought they had a large circle of love. But when it came to a physical reality, they wanted to burn the hell out of everybody. And then, uh, uh, I love this one, uh, in Mark chapter 9, the disciples come running up to Jesus, they're so excited. And they go, Jesus, Jesus, you've got to hear this, we just rescued a situation. We were standing in town and there was a guy who we don't know, he's not in our group. And he started casting out a demon, in your name mind you, out of a man. But don't worry, Jesus, we stopped it. And they're thinking, we are so, I mean, we are like in the top 10 of disciples. Absolutely. We've got this thing figured. We have watched Jesus. We've studied. We can interpret how Jesus would act in the community by based on what you're watching. This is what Jesus says in Mark 9.39. He says, don't stop him. What are you doing? Don't stop the guy. Let him go. If he's praying in my name, we're good with it, right? Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. So Jesus is saying to the boys, he's saying, boys, by your logic, you are saying to me that you would rather a man keep his demon." Because the higher value is somebody who's not part of our group should not cast out a demon. That's more important than a man getting rid of his demon. Is that what you're saying, boys? Well, I mean, now that you put it that way, Jesus, we, we kind of can see your side of it. Could be right. And Jesus is just trying to bring some common sense to stupid Christianity. Honestly, isn't he? He's saying like, boys, you've, made, you've got your values mixed up. My value is set people free. How that happens is, seems to be how you, what you're caught up on, but I'm not caught up on that because I'm focused on the person. And so we can be so caught up on whose permission, who gets to, who is, should it, could it be that way? I don't know whether that's right. I haven't seen anybody do that. Would Jesus do it that way? I don't think so. Is he allowed to say that? I'm not sure he's not allowed. And on and on we go. Meanwhile, somebody's suffering and just needs anybody to pray for them in the name of Jesus so they can be set free. 
That's what Jesus was saying. And you know what happens? I like this line there. For whoever is not against us is for us. So I've, br- I've been brought up in old Pentecostalism. And old Pentecostalism absolutely declares there's a battle. And there is a battle. I get that. No problem. There is evil and good, of course, devil and God, all that, of course. But we can be so obsessed around the battle that we actually start treating our community like they're our enemy. And they're not. Jesus said, if they have not said they are against you, then they are for you. So here's a tip. When you go into that community tomorrow, why don't you treat everybody like they're for you? They're not, a, they're not something to overcome. They're not the enemy to defeat. They're, unless they have said, we want nothing to do with you, then I suggest you have everything to do with them. The community is not the enemy. Paul had the same issue, the Apostle Paul. Paul um, had his disciples come running to him. They said, Paul, you're not going to believe it. There are people out there preaching who aren't a part of our group like unbelievable and some of them are even charging for it ridiculous you know what apostle paul says he says who cares as long as the gospel's being preached i sometimes wonder whether they would be our rules or they would be our regulations apostle paul's just like hey man listen while you're complaining to me about who's preaching the gospel you actually could have been preaching the gospel because you're not. Somebody else has to do it. Were they charged or not? We don't really care. The main thing is that wherever we go and whatever happens, somebody's got to be preaching the gospel. That's Paul's point. And so I just want you to know, one of the ways that we are inclusive is that we make sure that we don't make more laws than are necessary to include people in our circle of love. The circle of love is an uncomfortable place to live. You know, in, our, uh, in, in any church these days, we're going to have people from all walks of life we have people. We have people now. We have people in our church, of course, in same-sex relationships. I mean, that's going to be a hot topic right now. Now, I'm not even this. Just because I have people in my church that are in, are in same-sex relationships does not mean I'm for same-sex relationships. But they're absolutely welcome. See, here's the lie that the world has taught us, and we have. This is the mess. This is the combatant, or this is the this is the language we have to have in our community. To disagree on values is not hate. That's just absolutely. Right. I want you to know. As a Christ follower, I spend my life with people with lifestyles nothing like me. And I, I promise you, I will never hate one of them. There is not a fibre in my being of hate towards anybody. Not at all. I'm, I am happy to hang out with people from all lifestyles. But that doesn't mean I agree with them. But it just means they're in my circle of love. And the only way they're going to know Jesus is not because they're on the outside of the circle of love. we shouting how they should live. But including them in my circle of love, we get to know each other. And through that, hopefully, they'll see Jesus. And they join the journey just like I am as well. Last thought as we finish today. It's a bit scary though, this thought. Who remembers the Good Samaritan? I remember doing it in kids' church. And, uh, you know, with those felt things. That's how old I am, you know, on the felt board. You still use those? What's happened with kids' church? Hasn't it modernized since I've been there last? Felt things. And, um, let, let me read it to you. Um, let me read from actually verse... Because uh, most of you know the story. I'm going to end with this tonight. Uh, verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said this, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, just hold that thought, a priest 
happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. Nice. So too a Levite, hold that thought, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side as well. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where he was, the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went and bandaged him, bandaged his wounds, wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And then the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I will return, when I return, I will reimburse you for any cost. Any extra expense you may have. Which of these three, this is Jesus talking, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Here's the horrific truth of this story. Horrific. It's horrific for me. The two people, Jesus could have used anybody, their their vocation, any vocation whatsoever. The two vocations Jesus decides to use to teach us about who is your neighbor is a priest, somebody like me, and a Levite, a worshipper. Of all the people. I mean, choose an accountant. I'd be more likely to be an accountant, right? Than a priest. Any accountants here? No? Of all, honestly, of all the occupations, he could choose to describe the picture of neighborly activity. He chooses people like me and people like you. And he says, here's the picture. He says, the neighbor is not the person across the road. The neighbor is the person who gets involved. And so, the only way we are truly going to change this community, promise me, is you have to get involved. And you have to get involved to a level. I'm pretty sure that giving somebody your car, just modernize it, give them your car with uh, your $150 or $250 for a night's accommodation, using your uh, bandages, wounds, your wine. Well, let's keep that. That's still modern, Hunter Valley-ish. <laughs> wine, that's expensive. And then come back and pay all of his medical bills the next day to make sure he was complete in his healing. That, to me, is a phenomenal picture of what church is and what it should be. Did you know that I'm the national leader for community engagement, but I do not have a community department in my church? Did you know I have not, I don't appoint anybody in the department of community? You know why I do that? Because community is not a department. Because engagement is not a department. It's the responsibility of every Christian. I refuse to turn the Good Samaritan story into a job that somebody's paid to do. Every one of us tomorrow, when we head into that community, have the option to involve, inconveniently, I must admit, and, and immerse our lives into people who, I get it, I'm, I'm with you, man, would be far easier to walk on the other side, or we can live a disrupted life, whereby each one of them, though we wouldn't normally, and they are completely opposite to us, foreign, yet we have prejudice for them, we choose to do the opposite and we get our lives involved with them. What a great picture Jesus did for us. I know it's a challenge, but it's a great picture. It just doesn't do something to all of your insides, who you are as a, like a natural person. I, I have read that all my life and I redid that just a few weeks ago and it, it aggressively offended me. Like it upset me, like I'm upset with myself. Like I, I'm like, I cannot believe... I've let all those things creep into my life. And I think, well, thank God 
I get aggressively offended by the word every now and then because this, this community desperately needs Jesus. And I want to encourage you, it's going to take a different kind of thought. It's going to take a different kind of action. And by all means, do the programs we do. But actually, the truth of reaching this community is when each one of us think differently about how we go into our Mondays. Hey, it's been great being with you. You know, if I, I know I flogged this off last time I was here. Um, this is the story of the transition of Lighthouse from an old Pentecostal revival church, always believing for revival to come, to stopping in our tracks and saying to ourselves, we're not praying for revival to come. We're going to make revival happen. We're going to go get it. And that's what we've done. You know, we moved from a church. I inherited a church of 500 people. I grew it in the first three years uh, to 300 people backwards. That's a gift, actually. Not many people get to do that. So I grew it backwards by a couple of hundred people. Now it's a church well up over 1,200 people, three locations. And 70% of the people that attend my church were not Christians before I was there. In fact, all of my location pastors, uh, with except one of them, Levi, all got saved 10 years ago in my church in one big batch of young adults. And they just think this is normal. They think the kind of church we do, because they've had no other reference for it, they just think that's what church is, so it's good. Makes my job easy. Easy, they're easy to convince. Can I pray for you as we finish? I reckon God's doing something across the ACC church. I reckon there's something going on. I reckon, here's what I reckon, that message, listen, it's simple. I'm, I, I'm no, it's no great revelation. But God is reigniting it across our movement so that he can build different kinds of churches. Because what we've got is only one measure. The only measure has been if you have a mega church, if, you, if, if everything's full on Sunday, you must be successful. I'm not against filling Sundays, but I want you to know you should start measuring your influence. You should start measuring your partnerships. You should start measuring things that are happening outside the church, not just what's happening inside the church. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for every single person. Lord, God, I thank you for the spirit on this place. And God, I thank you for the community that's outside the walls of this church. And I just know, God, you're up to new and fresh things. God, I can hear the nod in the spirit and hearts of people tonight as we talk about what really it is to be the neighbor to people. And I pray, Lord, help us to increase our circle of love. Lord, literally show up physically, let things show up physically so we can test our theory of whether we truly do love large or whether we just love small. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'll be available for those. 20 bucks. It uh, devalues the moment I sign it, but buy it anyway. Okay, God bless you.